0: Well, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. Today, as Colin mentioned, is November 30th. And this can be an awkward time of year where Thanksgiving is over and gone, but it's still November. And so, should we bust out the Christmas decorations, or should we spend a few more precious hours reminiscing over the things that we are thankful for for the past year? And as many of us sat around the Thanksgiving table and thought about what we are thankful for, probably many of you thought, well, I'm thankful for my family. This is what two-thirds or four-sixths of my family was thankful for. Uh, One-sixth was thankful for trains, and the last six was just spitting out her baby food. But we're thankful for our families, and so today we're going to read a story about a man who was truly thankful for the family that God had given him. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verse 40, or look in your bulletin on page 6, I'm going to read about Jairus. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people, why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And he directed that something should be given her to eat, and her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the families that you have given to all of us, and thank you for the privilege of being part of your eternal family through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. Give us faith to believe in your promises until your Son returns. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you for having me up here again. It's an honor to get to preach the Word of God to you. Uh, I I will remind you, as I said last time, that they have not given me a robe yet uh, to talk to you because I'm only an intern in the presbytery. And so, therefore, I ask that you only hold me to the expectations that one can be held to who does not have a robe. And if you come up to me with questions about my teaching, please also remember that I have no protective garments ward off verbal attacks. So, But I need you to know two things about me this morning before we get started. And the first is that I love Christmas. I love it with every inch of my being. I start listening to Christmas music sometime around June. I find that it it helps take the edge off the heat of the summer. And it's not until really this weekend that people start not giving me sneers as I turn it on in public areas. So the first thing I need you to know is that I love Christmas. And the second thing I need you to know is that in my perfect world, my household would run somewhat like the Von Trapp family with the whistle, where everybody follows rules and it's quiet and peaceful. But that's not how my family runs because I have four children, uh, three daughters and, and one son, And with this, uh, in being a relatively new dad, I'm still learning how to take care of them and love them and how to be flexible with their schedules, Um, but our household runs like a delicate ecosystem, where when one thing is off, like missing a nap, it can throw off the entire order of a week, which brings chaos and, for my personality type, can be quite draining. I hope that that gets easier as they get older. You'll have to tell me later. But just the smallest change, like missing a nap, can throw off an entire week. But nothing changes, nothing causes disorder in a family of small children like when one of them gets sick. When you have multiple children, hmm, I almost turned an amen there. Uh, when, when you have multiple children and one of them gets sick, it's chaos because you're trying to quarantine one child in their part of the house or their room as you're also then trying to keep the other children away. Uh, and then, of course, one, so you're having to take care of this one child, but then you have to sanitize yourself before you go out uh, to try to engage the other children. Because if they get sick, you really just have to write off the entire month as a loss. Uh, and there's nothing else you can do about that. And so then you're going back and forth. And then if you're daddy, well, then this also causes some issues just simply because you're not mommy. And this can create meltdowns among your children. And also, when you have an infant, there's some anatomical issues that allows you not to take care of the infant in the same way. And Daddy doesn't make lunches in quite the same way as Mommy does. And it causes complete chaos, which is why I cannot even begin to fathom the disorientation and, and the turmoil that is created when a child gets really sick. I mean, really sick, like cancer sick hospital sick, terminally ill sick? How is a parent supposed to deal with it when the child you love is not going to be getting better? How does a parent try to maintain any kind of normalcy when the children are at critical condition and there's nothing you can do about it? Where do you turn when the family that you love is facing death and You can't stop it. Well, this is exactly where our story starts with Jairus, starting in verse 40. Jairus strained, looking into the distance with his eyes, trying to see the man who was coming. He was standing there along with the rest of his city, uh, because they had all heard that this person was coming, this person who had been doing miracles and miraculous wonders across the region. And people started to murmur as they saw his little party start to get closer. Who was this man that had been doing miraculous signs, that had been doing wonders like the prophets of old? Was this man coming like one of those prophets of old? Was he going to bring the word of God and also do incredible things? Or was this just a fake? Some people were even saying that this was the Messiah that had been promised. And Jairus, just like all of us in this room, had a family. He had a mother and father. He probably had brothers and sisters. He had a wife and children. And also, just like everyone else in this room, Jairus just wanted his family to be happy and holy and normal. He wanted them safe. He wanted them to follow God. But right now, they were anything, his daughter was anything from happy. She was lying there in bed straining for breath, inches from death, inches from being separated from him forever. And of course, all the locals knew who Jairus was. He was a synagogue leader in the community, but everyone also knew that his 12-year-old daughter was very sick. And this is why they give him room to run up to the feet of Jesus, because his child is sick. And it doesn't matter what community you're from. If you're from America or Sudan, Or the Middle East or Southeast Asia, when a child gets sick, everyone feels it. Everyone weeps for the child who's sick. And this is why we all look at the child who's sick and we say, this shouldn't happen. Children aren't supposed to get sick. The normal order is supposed to be that parents get older and then parents die. And then children grow up, get to have families of their own. That's how it's supposed to happen. But a sick child pulls at the heartstrings of everyone. doesn't matter if you're a barren widow or a biker gang. A sick child with terminal cancer can shut down an entire city like San Francisco and make complete strangers pretend to be Batman villains so that the child with cancer can pretend to be Batman one time before that child dies. Children aren't supposed to get sick, and it infuriates us, and it makes us want to shout at God and say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. You can't let this happen. God, are you even there? Which is why, as we've had Thanksgiving a couple of days ago, and are asked the question, maybe, what are you thankful for? Many of us will look around at, our t- at the table, maybe at our children that are fidgeting, and we'll sigh, (sighs) and we'll say, you know what, I'm thankful for my family. Even if they drive you crazy, the alternative of actually losing them is too hard to think about. And so just like Jairus, who wants his daughter to be healthy and normal, what do we all really want for Thanksgiving? What do we want to unwrap, uh, unwrap under the tree? under the tree at Christmas, we all just want a normal family. You might have thought back over the past couple of days about if your family was normal or not. But we just want a normal family, like one of those that we see on TV where problems get solved in a 30-minute episode or an hour-long episode, as, as they are, are more now. So now for the young theologians, in your bulletin, under a normal family... I would like you to draw a picture of a normal family. So for young theologians, older theologians, those with ADHD, please draw a picture of your normal family, which is a bit of a hot topic right now in the community. If you have ADHD, you've probably already colored it in. But draw the picture of what the normal family looks like. But Jairus didn't want his daughter to be sick. He wanted his family to be the way that it was supposed to be, right? Not with them dying of sickness. He wanted his wife and his children to grow up having normal experiences, which in that time probably would have been something like learning how to cook and clean and raise children so that she could get married, his daughter, and then have kids. And this is what we want, too. We just want a normal family. We want our kids. Kids, we just want you to be normal. We don't want bad kids, we don't want annoying kids or scared kids. We don't want our kids to be the bully, and we don't want our kids to be the wimp. We just want our kids to be normal. And this is what we want from our spouses, too. We don't want them to be overly anything. Don't be overly anxious. Don't be overly calm. Don't be overly outgoing. Don't be overly distant. Don't be inflexible. Don't be too flexible. Just be Normal. We want the normal family. And at Thanksgiving, if we hold our breaths, breath and squint our eyes just right and the light hits the table just perfectly, we can see our families as normal. But as time goes on and our families get older, there's more and more times to make mistakes. There's more and more times for the fallen world and the sin that's in us to have visible consequences. And with each passing year, it gets harder and harder to squint to see our families as normal. Because you see, bad things happen to our families that ruin any sense of normalcy. Unexpected pregnancies, mental illness, divorce, death. These are things that happen to all of us. And if they haven't happened to you, they they will. They're guaranteed. And you know what? There is nothing we can do about it. We are thoroughly out of control of the problems that happen to all of us. And we know this, but we forget this. And so sometimes it takes something giant like the death of a child to remind us just how out of control we are. Jairus knew that. He was out of options. He was out of time. So running up to Jesus, he throws himself at Jesus' feet, and he throws his dignity aside, that dignity that we like to wear so much the older that we get. And he falls at his feet and asks, as only a a grown father can, Jesus, will you please save my little girl? So now, to young theologians, as you finish up your normal family, if you would Now, please draw a picture of a messed up family. Whatever that looks like, young theologians, old theologians, a messed up family, maybe one of them's a unicorn. So Jairus jumps at his feet, and then maybe after some time, maybe after a pause, because Jesus never minded making people wait, Jesus agreed to go with Jairus. Imagine the joy and relief that must have washed over him as the master was coming to his house. It was going to be okay. And Jairus knew it, but he also knew that they had to hurry because the daughter was close to death. She was dying. And so Jairus led Jesus to his house. I would imagine that the pace was pretty quick. But there was one problem, is that everyone wanted a piece of Jesus. Everyone was pushing around him, squeezing on him like he was a grape about to pop. Jairus must have been thinking, come on, Jesus, just a little bit faster, Jesus. Let's get these people out of the way, Jesus. Suddenly, Jesus stopped. On the way to the little girl's house, who's about to die, Jesus stops, and he says, who touched me? The crowd goes silent. Nobody confesses to it. Nobody wanted to say that they had touched Jesus, but Jesus waited longer. Maybe the silence grows. Who touched me? Finally, Peter breaks the awkward silence, the awkward silence that was we'd be building up impatience and fear in gyr- Gyrus. Peter breaks it and says, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. In other words, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone's touching you. But Jesus said, someone touched me because power came out of me. Why is Jesus doing this? Think how infuriating this would be from Jairus' perspective. His daughter gasping for life. But finally, a grown woman comes out and tells about how she had been healed by touching him. Great, good, come on, Jesus. Jesus. And then she goes on to tell about how she had had this embarrassing and painful bleeding disease for 12 years. She had had the disease for as long as Jairus' daughter had been alive, because the daughter was also 12. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. This is taking forever, right? Forever for a father who has his last chance at hope for his little daughter coming. This woman was grown. She wasn't going to die. She hadn't died for the last 12 years. Don't worry about that daughter, Jesus. Worry about my daughter. She's more important right now, right? Because she is more critical. So hurry up, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Hurry. If we don't, hurry. But suddenly, at that moment, Jairus' heart sank. While Jesus was still talking. In verse 49, while Jesus was still talking, before he had shut his mouth, someone from Jairus' house came up. Jairus knew the man, of course, and by seeing the look on his face, Jairus would have known the message that was about to be told. Jairus, the words lingered in the air, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Picture a father standing there in a crowd, just getting news that his daughter had died. Think about, though, while he would have been surrounded by people, how isolated he would have felt, how distant, how hopeless. Darkness might have started coming in. Depending on the type of father you are, you might start to crouch down. Because there is a hopelessness to life. All of our families are currently messed up. No matter how hard we try to pick the perfect spouse or raise the perfect children, life will happen to them, both internally through sin and externally through the fallen world. The normal family, it just doesn't exist, as you might have seen during this holiday season. And if it does, then it doesn't exist for long. And we try to adjust our viewpoints by saying, oh, some problems are just normal. And then with enough time, we forget some of the larger problems that we all face. But the truth is, just like Jairus and the bleeding woman, life is hard and people fail. They fail internally through their own sin And they fail externally through their decaying bodies that fall apart. And that's hard. And we can feel that a lot during the holidays. So what are we really thankful for at Thanksgiving? A family that will face impossible trials? A home that must fall apart? Health that deteriorates? Nothing lasts We have nothing permanent and we can do nothing about it. And if we sit and if we think long enough about it, then we can start to feel that isolated and distant feeling, feeling hopeless. And the dark can come in. And it's into this darkness that the light comes, and the bells peal loud and deep. And we hear Jesus saying, don't be afraid. Trust me. And the result will be life. That's what he does. As Jesus says to Martha about Lazarus, I am the resurrection. What else could Jairus do? Death had won. He was at the total mercy of Jesus. So now, for young theologians, old theologians, ADHDers. In the bottom part, if you can draw now your perfect picture of Christmas. And so they, the group, arrived at the house of the little girl, and everyone was crying. Jesus sent them away, claiming that he was going to go wake up the girl, which only received a chorus of laughter, but what did he care? What did Jairus care? His daughter was dead. It was ruined. Everything was ruined. The normal family was ruined. It was gone. And it takes the holidays sometimes to remind us of the devastating effects of sin and death on all of our families. And Jesus went into the little girl's room, taking only Peter, John, and James, and her mother, and Jairus followed How is Jesus going to do this? Everyone knew that the Messiah of Isaiah 35 that we read this morning was going to heal the the blind and the lame. But who is this man who promises to wake up to give life to the dead? Who can do that? And not with an intricate dance or a mystical seance, but instead like a father waking up his own daughter, Jesus says, child, get up. And with that, in one of the most incredibly normal and incredibly supernatural acts, the girl wakes up. And again, in both a fully normal and fully supernatural feat, she's hungry. Get her some food. Can you picture the parents' faces as they are seeing their daughter's living teeth now chew up each bite and swallow it? That now in something that's so normal, like eating, we see the radiating power and glory of Christ at work. Picture their joy as they hear her say, I need to go to the bathroom. And this is why, praise be to God, Thanksgiving is not separated from Christmas. We don't have to choose on November 30th which holiday to be excited about. Christmas is when God breaks through the distant veil and the light comes to the darkness. In Christ, the impossible and transcendent God becomes our Emmanuel, God with us. And in the most normal of ways he does it, he does it by being born. Yet supernaturally born of a virgin. And Christ continually throughout his ministry takes the normal and the supernatural and fuses them together so that the everyday becomes miraculous. Christ brings the perfect normal. And this isn't the normal that all of us just know is normal of, we have big problems and we all kind of accept those. But this is the normal like Adam and Eve before the fall normal, where Husbands and wives and children—they all get along and they're all happy and there's no fighting and there's no sickness and there's no disease and there's no death and there's no crying. It's the perfect normal, the one that we all long for, and we long for it so much we'll make all our family, our our entire family, sit down and take a hundred pictures just to try to get one of everyone smiling and looking at the camera. And sometimes we do that so we can show it to our other friends and say, "Look." how normal my family is. But Christ promises to bring the perfect normal, the true normal. And Thanksgiving is a time that we look around in our life and we say thank you for what we have, but without Christmas, Thanksgiving is meaningless. There's no normal Thanksgiving without Christmas because it all falls apart in the end. So we need a Messiah, and not just one who tells us to act better, but we need a Messiah who comes and promises to take all those good things that we love and take all those broken things that we hate and make them all perfectly normal through resurrection. So at Thanksgiving, we must be thankful for Christmas, which gives meaning and hope to the normalcy of all things. But also, we need to remember that like a good father, God does not forget us in our terminal condition. But instead, he sent the son to save his children, his people, and his church. And you see, in the story, it's easy for us to be like Jairus, to write off the older woman because her issue wasn't as critical. She wasn't in such a bad place as the daughter was. But this isn't how God works. God promises to change all the problems, both the big serious ones and the small inconvenience ones, and to make them all perfect. But we don't do that, right? We don't shut down cities for old people who are going into hospice care to pretend to be Batman villains. But this isn't how God is. God doesn't save just the prettiest or the youngest or the smartest or those with the most potential, but He promises to redeem and resurrect all His children who hear and know His voice. So, what are you thankful for? Well, we all want to be thankful for our normal family. We want to give thanks to God that he has given us great children and great parents and a perfect spouse. But the reality is, and Jairus knew this, is that none of us have the normal family. Parents don't always know what they're doing, and kids, you don't know that until you become a parent. And our spouses many times have their own self-interest at heart And children want to make their own mistakes, no matter how hard we try to protect them and teach them not to. And so today, on November 30th, in the interim, as Christmas approaches, we are reminded and assured that our true hope is not found in trying to protect the normal life from harm, because harm is coming, But instead, it's found by resting in Emmanuel. It's resting in Christmas, resting in the God with us, the Son of David, the Son of God, and giving thanks for the supernatural normalcy that is found in him. And so today, we will go home and we will finish putting up our Christmas decorations in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus as a light into our darkness. We ask that you continue to increase our faith by your Holy Spirit in his birth, in his death, resurrection, and return. Give us faith in him for the goodness and normalcy of our families, friends at the church and the church. Until he returns. Amen.